Thank you for joining the Resilient Cyber Show. My name is Chris Hughes, along with my co-host, Dr. Nikki Robinson. Hey, everybody. And today we're joined by Steve Carter. Steve, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris and Nikki. Yeah, definitely. We're excited to chat with you and uh, hear a bit about your background and what you're up to and, and actually get some expertise and insight from you on the vulnerability management landscape. But uh, before we dive down that rabbit hole, can you tell us a bit about your background you know, in, in, in the career and kind of what you're up to now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so I'm a co-founder and the CEO at Nucleus Security. And, um, you know, if you're not familiar with Nucleus, we're really just a company that's, that's on a mission to prevent breaches and reduce risk through the automation of, of risk-based vulnerability management. And I know that's a, a mouthful and, and not here to pitch the company, but that's, that's what we do. Um, personally, I spent the, the majority of my career working for um, federal agencies or working with federal agencies to build and scale vulnerability management programs. So I started, ended up starting a, a managed security services company in 2015 uh, called Rampant Technologies. And we work with both public and private sector there. Um, but, you know, throughout my career, I was always looking for a platform to automate a lot of these manual and time consuming processes uh, that, that are part of vulnerability management. So in 2018, I uh, decided to build Nucleus and, and bring that product to market that I was really uh, always looking for and felt needed to exist. And so for the last Five years or so, I guess. I've been uh, building Nucleus. I was the original developer of the tool, of the platform, and now obviously much more focused on strategy and partnerships and all this other fun business stuff. So that's what I've been up to. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited to chat with you again today. We've chatted a couple times about vulnerability management. And one of the things that uh, you know I, I see continuously is, and you sort of hit on it a little bit, is that Vulnerability management can be really complex. There's tons of vulnerabilities and they're coming out all the time. And, you know, how do we use scoring systems? And so it becomes really complex really quickly. And um, I'm curious about how you feel, because uh, this is something I think a lot about, about the current state of sort of documentation, guidance. What should you do with vulnerability management? What does that mean now that we have Kubernetes and containers and everything's moving to the cloud? Um, so besides some references out there from this that are, you know, a few years old, um, what, what do you think that organizations should be doing uh, when they're talking about a vulnerability management program and, and sort of looking at maturing those processes? Yeah, this is a, this is a really, really hard problem that, that I think probably not enough people talk about, quite honestly, because there, there isn't enough good guidance out there on vulnerability management, right? We have some things from NIST, some things from CISA, but, but if, you, if you just like, like, what does a good reference architecture look like? For an enterprise vulnerability management program, if someone just asks that question, is looking for that answer. Where do you go, right? What book do you read? Um, what course do you take? Nikki, I know you have a course. Uh, you know, it's a, it's I think it's like a two or three hour course on cyber, which is awesome, by the way. But, but if you're thinking of like, um, you know, educating your team on what good looks like in the context of of enterprise vulnerability management, there just aren't a ton of good resources out there. And, and so the, the folks that are really good at this are mostly just self-taught and, and have learned this through experience over years and years and years. And there just aren't a lot of people that, that, uh, that are really uh, good at, at, you know, developing and designing enterprise vulnerability management programs. So, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a mess, right? We need more content out there. We need more courses like the one you put together. And, and we're, actually, uh, we're actually working on one at Nucleus, not to, not to plug that. But yeah, the, the education and awareness of how to do vulnerability management well, uh, it's, it, needs, it needs some love. I'll just 
put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say as an industry and not even individuals, but or as an industry, I think we have a lot of challenges around vulnerability management and the way we score and the databases we use. And we'll dive into that, some, some of that coming up. Uh, but I want to ask you a couple other questions. One, you mentioned you came from the development background. How do you think that's played into I'm always curious, how do you think that played into the way you approach cybersecurity and like, especially with like shift left, for example, and things like that, you know, having that development background, do you think that's helped you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's helped a ton. You know, I, I always recommend like we talk to a lot of folks that are just getting started in cybersecurity and, you know, people that are looking for advice. If anyone ever asked me for advice that's getting started, I always say, like, learn, learn software well, learn to code uh, as deeply as you can. And not everyone, uh, you know, has the aptitude for it. And that's OK. But I think the more that the deeper that you understand software uh, in general, like the better cybersecurity professional that you can be. Um, because, you know, ultimately all of these vulnerabilities we're talking about, you know, they're vulnerabilities in software. And so to understand them at the deepest level and defend against them, uh, even, you know, obviously if you want to go the offensive route, uh, you need to know software, you know, in the inner workings even better. So for me personally, it's been a huge help. And I've always kind of, um, you know, I've always kind of been in the middle there where, you know, half of me is kind of a, just a, a software engineer at heart and the other, the other half, a, a cybersecurity um you know, professional and, and, and engineer. And so that's, uh, to me, it's, it's been a massive help. Uh, so yeah, I always recommend that. Yeah. I, I imagine that would be your answer. I mean, for me, I never had a development background, so I've had to learn a lot in, in terms of how developers work and, you know, software engineering, how, how, how they approach these problems and things like that. So it's helped a lot to try to understand that. And I think folks who come from that background will actually be more successful in security, in my opinion, especially as we move forward and everything is as code now, you know, uh, the future of security is, is kind of codified in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and we actually, I mean, I, I give uh, any time I'm talking to younger folks, um, especially people entering college, I'm like, hey, learn, learn to code, even if it's nothing to do with cybersecurity, just because, you know, software and coding combined with another field that you want to focus on. I don't care if it's, you know, if you want to be a, a chemist or if you want to be an accountant or whatever it is, you know, just the combination is always uh, so powerful. Yeah, it'd be hard to argue that software is not valuable, no matter what discipline you go into at the at this point. You know, um, I want to ask you also, like, you know, how do you having been in the career field for a while and watched the you know prevalence of cloud take off and DevSecOps and obviously the push for shift left security, you know, and talking about CI/CD tool chains and you know SaaS and DAS and all the tools that we try to put in the pipeline and so on. You know, how do you think that's changed uh, how we approach vulnerability management or how should it uh, change how we approach vulnerability management, knowing that we have like a complex environment, a lot of tools, a lot of different environments, things like that? Yeah, I mean, what I see changing is organizations starting to think about vulnerability management uh, differently, and I guess more holistically, right? Because going all the way back, it was just, hey, we're going to run some scanning tools against our, uh, you know, our infrastructure. And everything was very much focused kind of on that infrastructure and network side of the house. And, and now, at least with, with a lot of the folks that we're working with at Nucleus, they're thinking about things much more holistically to include, um, you know, vulnerabilities and vulnerability management in the context of cloud security and their cloud security team and in the context of product security and AppSec. And they're trying to, to, to put together, um, you know, a, a holistic strategy and, and policies and SLAs that cover kind of all these different areas of, you know, very complex enterprises. And, and that's really hard. And that's a, that's a work in progress for almost every organization. But that's really what I see changing most is organizations trying to kind of, you know, get wrap their arms around all of it 
and and try to be holistic and, and consistent with how they manage vulnerabilities, regardless of whether it's you know in their you know OT devices or in their applications or you know in a cloud configuration, right? It's all just you know vulnerability and risk. Yeah, I feel like that's it, it. Really touches really well into my next question because when we're thinking about vulnerability management, I feel like in the past it's really been about you know what do network defenders do, right? Like just taking this sort of reactive, okay, this vulnerability was released. Okay, what does it mean? How much time do I have to remediate all these things, right? Where, whereas when you start thinking about vulnerabilities as um, how is someone going to use these? How is someone going to leverage them against my organization? Or what does this mean for me in my industry, right? Healthcare uh, versus, you know, big tech or something like that. There's different types of attacks, different vulnerabilities that are going to make more sense. So do you think organizations need to have this more customized approach to vulnerability management and not just say, you know, okay, we've got all the vulnerabilities, just fix them all at once. You know, let's like actually look at maybe vulnerability chaining or threat modeling, things like that. Yeah, 100%, right? And I think honestly, this is this is this is one of the biggest challenges relating to vulnerability management today in, in my opinion, which is that um, a lot of organizations still really aren't aware of how critical their vulnerability management practices are to protecting their systems and data, right? And and last year, well, actually, I think 2021 was the first year that that vuln exploitation was the number one technique that attackers use to compromise networks, right? Most people would think it's still credential reuse or phishing or something like that. It's vulnerability exploitation now. And vulnerability exploitation is the number one um, initial access factor in ransomware as well, right? And so, um, so it's... Uh, the, the organizations that we work with are starting, I mean, they, they're the ones I think that, um, you know, understand these things and are, are doing all the work to kind of modernize and adapt uh, and optimize their vulnerability management programs, which I think is, is super, super important, you know, today just to protect against the, the threats of 2023. But, um, but I think a lot of organizations just don't realize some of those statistics and trends that I just rattled off, right, which is pretty, pretty concerning. Yeah, actually, you made me think of something I wanted to ask before I ask you my next question is like you talked about that vulnerability exploitation. Uh, you know, as an industry, we seem to be pretty terrible at like patching vulnerabilities, even if they're known to be exploited and have a patch available. You know, why do you think organizations struggle with that? You know, you have like a two year old uh, vulnerability with a patch available for 18 months that gets exploited. You know, why do you think uh, organizations uh, struggle with patching, you know, known exploited vulnerabilities, for example? Oh man, we could talk about this one for uh, for hours, right? So many reasons. I mean, uh, the, the first couple of things that come to mind, of course, are uh, you know most large enterprises are still trying to get a handle on asset inventory and asset management, and just you know understanding what they actually have. Uh, and this kind of you know you could get into software inventory and SBOM and everything else being a part of that. Uh, so you've got challenges there, and there have been a lot of like technologies that have uh, that have come along to to help you with that. Uh, but then you also have, um, let's see, that I, I would say, and this is, you know, it might sound self-serving, but but it is a challenge when your your average large enterprise has something like, you know, anywhere from 12 to like 20 or more different vulnerability scanning tools. And so you've got all of these silos of all of these databases of vulnerability information. They're all rating things differently. They're all giving you different information. And, and so, and they're all you know, isolated. And in most cases, people don't have all the information they need, right? If I'm in, if I own, uh, you know, uh, a fleet of computers, or if I'm a product manager of, you know, a bunch of applications, 
Like, where do I go to see everything, all the vulnerabilities from all of the different tools that we're using that um, are associated and impacting the things that I own, right? There's not a ton of technology and tools out there to really help you bring it all together and just answer that question, right? Or, or if uh, maybe I don't own it, maybe I just have responsibility for fixing things and just answering that question across all of these different sources of vulnerability information, whether it's a pen test, whether it's a bug bounty, whether it's one of the, you know, 10 different uh, scanning tools we're using, like, where do I go just to answer the question of like, where are all the vulnerabilities that I'm responsible for that, that, you know, impact my assets. So I think that's a, a big part of the problem. And that's a lot of what we focus on uh, Nucleus. Yeah. I wanted to just quick comment before I turn it over to Chris, the, one of the things that we we've talked about before too, is this sort of complexity of security tooling and how many different products do you have in your environment? Cause it's everything from EDR, AV, you know, everything that you're doing, anything threat and tell you, you have to sort of understand that implementing that many tools can actually um, add risk too. If you, you know, if you think about how many you're adding, what kind of access you're giving them, things like that. And that makes your vulnerability management program even more complex when you can simplify it and, and make it a little easier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. If you've just got, you know, Qualys and you're living in the, their ecosystem of, of tooling and that's all you're using, it's, it's pretty simple. And I always say like, you know, vulnerability management with small businesses isn't very challenging or difficult, but the, as the enterprise grows, the complexity and the complexity of the enterprise grows, so does, so do the challenges with vulnerability management, right? Just kind of lockstep, the bigger the organization, the more complex it is. Yeah. The more tools they're using, the more teams they have and things like that. Yeah. The, the harder these things become for sure. Yeah, I love that path you guys were going down about the tool sprawl that's so prevalent in security is like the tools themselves often have escalated privileges, not only that, but it adds cognitive overload to the security team trying to manage all these tools, all the telemetry coming off these tools. Uh, So I think that's a really critical point that doesn't get discussed enough. Uh, One thing I wanted to ask you about as well is, you know, we all know, you know, talk about vulnerability scoring, for example, we all know CVSS, the common vulnerability scoring system, or at least most of us do if you've been in this space for some time. Um, But many people argue, you know, it's not enough or it's not, it's not, and necessarily the right choice uh, to use for, you know, vulnerability prioritization in terms of exploitability, your unique uh, environment or unique threats, threats to your environment and you as an organization. Any thoughts around using other things like threat intelligence, you know, things like that to drive some of your vulnerability management uh, prioritization activities? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lots of thoughts. This is, uh, this is another one we could talk about all day. Um, I mean, you know, first I'll say uh, something unpopular, I guess, which, you know, I, I think CVSS, I, we could probably all agree it's like widely misused at least uh, in terms of people using it for prioritization and, and to, you know, measure risk because it's not, it's not what it was designed for. Um, but having said that, um, you know, I, have, I haven't given up hope with CVSS and there, you know, I don't know if you guys follow the CVSS working group, but they, they deserve more credit than they get because they've been working hard, especially this last year um, to on, on the next version of CVSS and improving it and addressing all these you know, issues and shortcomings, I think that people have observed with CVSS and, and ultimately I think CVSS is going to be, become more useful over time, but, but it is just one, I think, input into, uh, you know, a larger risk calculation, right? It's, it's just kind of measuring that, that impact and that severity. Um, so you need a lot, a lot more than that to, um, you know, to, to figure out what to fix first and prioritize vulnerabilities. Right. And I think, um, I think you mentioned EPSS. Uh, that's a great one. Threat intelligence, um, you know, so EPSS being um, another great tool 
kind of like CVSS though, in my opinion, it's, you know, it, it's one input into a bigger calculation and super unique. I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing most of your audience probably already knows about EPSS and, and um, you know, what it is and how useful it is. But, um, you know, to me, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's like one in another input into a risk calculation. Actually, on, on EPSS website, they give a good kind of breakdown of how you can use EPSS with CVSS, um, you know, to help you come to, to risk decisions on things. But um, but honestly, yeah. So threat intelligence is in, in my mind is is really where it's at today. And unfortunately, there, there really aren't a ton of great um, free and open source, I guess, uh, threat intelligence feeds. Um, Sisakev is out there. We've talked about that before, uh, I think, in our last conversation. And, and so that's a great kind of free and open source feed. But but yes, I, in my mind, um, you know, answering those answering the question of what's being exploited in the wild actively, what what which vulnerabilities are attackers focused on building exploits for? What 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 do we have proof of concept code out there for uh, in terms of exploitation so that you know we know exploitation is coming with these vulnerabilities? That type of information, all you know, threat and vuln intel type information is what what we we recommend folks really rely on to make decisions about you know the highest risk vulnerabilities uh, in their systems and networks. Yeah, I agree. Using all those things to, to make a more informed decision is, is the best route to go. Um, so you mentioned CISA a little, a, bit, a little bit there. I wanted to ask you about something you and I have chatted a little bit about, which is their, they had a, a, a post a while back from their executive director talking about, you know, the vulnerability management landscape. It talked about uh, CSAF and VEX and SBOM, uh, but they also brought up something called SSVC, which is a stakeholder specific vulnerability categorization, which I got to say, we are bad at acronyms and that went really well off the tongue. Um, but so, you know, tell us a little bit about SSVC that CISA has been evangelizing along with Carnegie Mellon. What is it? You know, how can we use it and, and why should we take a look at it? Yeah. For, so SSVC, CVSS in reverse for those out there in the audience that didn't uh, didn't catch that. But in my, you know, in my opinion, I think SSVC is probably one of the more underrated, uh, I hate to call it a tool, but underrated concepts available today in vulnerability management. Um, not many folks really seem to know too much about it or understand it. And I attribute that to um, the, you know, Carnegie Mellon, it was Carnegie Mellon's SEI, uh, Software Engineering Institute, that developed SSVC. And these guys don't have a marketing team, right? So they're not putting the information out there. You know, they, they're, it's mostly, you know, kind of academics writing this great content. And it's sitting out there available if you go and look for it. But, you know, you're not going to see SSVC talked about a lot on LinkedIn and things like that. Um, so a lot of people don't know about it. I think it's really underrated. But, um, you know, but ultimately what what it gives you, in, in my opinion, is one of the best approaches for determining which vulnerabilities to fix first in your organization. And it's not, um, I guess, the end all be all in terms of prioritization in the sense that it doesn't it doesn't help you to stack rank vulnerabilities, right? If you've got a million vulnerabilities or 100,000 vulnerabilities, it's not going to order those for you. But what it does help you do is pick the needles out of the haystack and really identify and make decisions about how to respond to those highest risk vulnerabilities in the organization, which in my opinion is really the most important thing to do. So, um, you know, it's all based on this concept of decision trees, which is a simple kind of straightforward concept with the idea being that you define, um, you know, what criteria, you know, what what uh, attributes about a vulnerability uh, would make it 
a critical risk vulnerability to your organization. And, you know, hopefully you don't just say if it's a CVSS score of nine or higher, right? We know that that's wrong, but maybe, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's one input, right? Maybe it's CVSS is nine or higher. Maybe it's, uh, you know, according to EPSS, it has a 50% chance or more of being exploited in the next 30 days. Um, Maybe it's impacting a public facing asset and on and on and on. And you get to define, you know, all of these criteria and all this logic essentially that says, okay, if all these conditions are met, we're going to classify or categorize this as a critical risk vulnerability and we're going to take this action. And so really all SSVC does is kind of give you that, um, that framework to define these things and then communicate that to the rest of the organization in a way that's, you know, easily understood, I guess, and in, in, in a graphical way. Um, so, so we like it a lot. We, uh, you know, we we recommend it to a lot of the folks that we work with. It's just that, um, yeah, you, you don't hear too much about it. So I'm glad you asked the question. Yeah, I actually stumbled across SSVC when I was working on my dissertation because I found it as a really good reference for, you know, other scoring methods, other ways that you can, you know, actually try to identify what do these vulnerabilities mean to me. So I, I love it too. I think it's a great resource. But you stumbled across it. That was the key word, right? Yes. It was, yeah, it it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which uh, and and I'm glad I found it because it is it is a great a great resource. Um so for um, you know, as we're talking about exploitability, right? And these additional sort of scoring methods that we have out there, there's the, um, we talked a little bit about the KEV, the known uh, exploited vulnerabilities sort of database or or, uh, listing from CISA. So we have more focus, especially I think in 2022 on exploitability, right? What does exploitability mean to vulnerabilities? And in the hopes of, you know, prioritizing, making sure that we're focusing on the vulnerabilities that can make the most impact to us. So do you feel like as an industry with vulnerability management, we're sort of headed in the right direction with things like EPSS and and having the KEV now? And um, so do you feel like we're headed in the right direction? I know we're still missing some updated guidance and and references, but um, as an industry, where do you think we are with vulnerability management? A hundred percent, right? When you look at, um, you know, where we were just five years ago or six years ago, you know, no one was really talking about things like this, uh, except, you know, in, in, you know, the, the deep in security engineering teams and stuff like that. Now you see so much open conversation about it on, on LinkedIn. Now you've got tools like EPSS and, and CISA put out the CAV, which, uh, which I think is amazing. So a hundred percent, you know, everything seems to be going in the right directions and uh, in the right direction and, and more and more organizations uh, as a result, I think are starting to, to understand the importance of vulnerability management now, because I think it's one of those things that for a lot of enterprises, you know, they set it up, their, their whole management program was just something that was kind of stood up 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and it was very simple. And they just kind of added some stuff and some people to it over time, but they were never, there's never a ton of thought put into these things. And so now a lot of organizations are reevaluating everything like, like we were talking about before. And, and hundred uh, percent, I think things are going in the right direction. I mean, I could go, uh, you know, Sisakev, that's that's one that I love to talk about all of the potential it has. Um, you know, I was I was uh, sick over the holidays. I had COVID over the, the Christmas break and I was uh, tempted. I actually started to write um, a, a blog post that was going to be titled All I Want for Christmas is Sisakev Context. Right. Because, you know, they give you this list of volumes. They don't give you any other information. And so uh, then I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to piss anyone off over there. So uh, so I didn't uh, <laughs> I nuked that that project. But I was you know, I was on a bunch of cold meds and stuff like that. So, 
anyway, well, yeah, going in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's uh, context is really important when it comes to vulnerabilities, because, you know, a list of 3000 or 10,000 vulnerabilities without context, it's hard to know where to start. It's it's a lot of information. And Chris mentioned, you know, sort of mental workloads, cognitive overload, you know, how how much can a human being understand and extract? And so having that context is is super important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I mean, they've only, I think, Sisa Kev in particular, they're, the, they're really the only real, what I call a threat intel feed. Um, I mean, it's, it's I don't know. I mean, it's dead simple, right? It's just a list of vulnerabilities, but it still answers the most important question, which what, which vulnerabilities are being exploited in the wild uh, right now. And, and it's the only source of that information that's, that's maintained in that way, um, you know, by a trusted organization that that you know has the the insight and the uh, observability to to maintain this list. So it's a yeah, it's a it's a great tool, and and I hope that they uh, they add some of that context because I think it's somewhere like I don't know something like nine hundred vulnerabilities now, but you know they don't tell you. You, did they observe it exploited one time on an internal network? Did they observe it exploited thousands of times over the internet? Um, did they observe successful exploitation or failed attempts? Um, did they observe it two years ago? Was it yesterday? We don't know any of these. And it would be so, so powerful if, uh, if they shared that. So, so hopefully uh, this year is the year. Yeah, another well, another you know tool in the toolkit that you can use to help inform those risk-based decisions. So, um, well, so before I take us to our last question, our you know our podcast last question, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, if there's anything that you're working on, what Nucleus is doing, sort of what you you know anything that you're working on that you wanted to share before I take us to our last question. You know, the biggest focus we have one of, one of the really big focuses we have at Nucleus. Uh, this year um, is is really on threat intelligence, like we talked about. I, I talked about the importance uh, of it and how I feel about um, you know it being critical to really doing vulnerability management well. And so we're really leaning into that. And and what we found is that a lot of large enterprises, especially um, you know they they already have a lot of they've already made big investments in threat intelligence. And all of these threat intelligence platforms have you know a a vuln intel component to them right you know that's threat intelligence kind of is, is about this wide and there's about this much that's kind of vulnerability intelligence what we call vulnerability intelligence so we're very much focused on looking at across all of the intelligence that that our customers already have have already invested in and and integrate into their enterprise and and extracting the the vulnerability intelligence kind of value from those feeds right so whether it's a you know or we, so we bake you know, vulnerability intelligence into our platform as well. But if a customer comes to us and they've got a flashpoint or a recorded future or Intel 471 or any of these other feeds, we're we're really interested in maximizing the value of those investments they've already made uh, and using them for for vuln intel or for vuln management workflows and use cases. So that's kind of the one of one of the really big focuses for the year. Awesome. Great. Um, okay. So that'll take us to our final question. We ask everyone, and I'm very curious about your insight with your background as a developer and, and your work in the vulnerability management space. So what does cyber resiliency mean to you? Oh man. Um, this is a surprise question, Nikki. I didn't, uh, I didn't know you're going to ask this. Yes. <laughs> oh, cyber resiliency. Uh, so it's funny, you know, this is a, this is a term that I didn't hear much of at all until maybe a couple years ago. And even today, like it doesn't come up a ton in conversation, but I think of it as obviously, you know, a very, very broad concept. 
And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the concept of being able to withstand, uh, you know, any, any kind of attack uh, against confidentiality, against integrity, against av- availability, and being able to be resilient, um, you know, in spite of all of the threats and all the risks and everything else. So I know that's not anything profound or really interesting. No, that's perfect. That's kind of how I think about it. No, that's perfect. Thank you. Um, Well, I can't thank you enough for uh, kicking off season four for us uh, for the new year for 2023. Thank you for being here and uh, talking to us all things vulnerability management, threat intelligence, exploitability. Um, uh, If anybody's looking, they can find you on LinkedIn. Um, We posted the website for Nucleus if you want to check it out. Um, So thanks again for being here and we'll see everybody next week. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Take care. All right. Cheers.